Welcome everyone who is joining us in your week with St. Luke's. We are looking at the Gospel of Mark, and in this week we encounter chapter 5, and in doing so we encounter a Jesus who is both healer and liberator. On this podcast, Reverend Dr. E.B. Arnold will take us into understanding what it means to be liberated by Jesus, and a Jesus who seeks to call us to liberating discipleship. Hello, friends, and welcome to this fifth week in our study of the Gospel of Mark. This week, we explore Mark's thing of redemption as he casts Jesus in the role of the liberator. We'll be working particularly in chapter 5 today as Mark gives us an amazing gift. In Mark chapter 5, we get a series of three acts of liberation. Some involve Uh, releasing a demon-possessed man, others involve healing, another involves miracle working. And yet, in each of these, Jesus' role as someone who redeems people and frees them from what holds them captive really comes to the front and center. The reason that these are such a gift is not only because they're wonderful stories, but because both of the other two synoptic gospels, Luke and Matthew, both retain these stories and in the order that Mark has them. Obviously, they felt these were very important. And if they were important to Luke and Matthew, I think they should probably be important for us as well as we continue to trace these themes that go throughout Mark's gospel. The first story that we see today is Jesus traveling across the Sea of Galilee and coming to the other side to a Gentile location known as the country of the Gerasenes. And in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, we read that as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, did this man, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces. And no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, this is a very interesting setup that Luke, that, excuse me, that Mark gives us to this particular story. Because on the one hand, this man can't be restrained. It says that if you try to restrain him with shackles, he breaks them. If you try to, you know, keep him still, he breaks his chains in pieces, and no one has the strength or the mechanism that can subdue this man. He is utterly uncontained and unrestrained. And yet, he is still not free. He can't live in a house. Uh, We'll find that out towards the end of the story, that he finally gets to go back to his house once he's healed. He lives in the graveyard, and he's out on the mountains by himself in the dark and the cold, bruising himself with stones. The man is anything but free as he is a slave to the spirit inside of him that does not wish the best for him. 
and that has only used his body and his mind as this temporary holding place. Now, what's really interesting about this is that Luke is, excuse me, Mark is probably tapping into ideas that people at that time had about Roman soldiers. It's interesting because the demon says its name is Legion, for we are many. So even though we say that the man is possessed of an unclean spirit, that unclean spirit claims that it has thousands of members within it. A Roman legion was a group of soldiers ranging anywhere between five and over 6,000 men. So we get the idea that the man doesn't just have a an unclean spirit. He doesn't just have a demon. He is completely occupied by a foreign invading army. He, his personhood has been completely decimated. So I think we can already understand that the idea of a Roman legion taking up residence in your homeland is not considered a good thing. And that's how we know having a Roman legion of demons taking up residence in your own consciousness and inside your own body is also not a good thing. Not only that, but this taps into a lot of the cultural understandings that people had of what Roman soldiers could do. Roman soldiers could just take over anything that they wanted. They could go crashing into any buildings, any types of places that they need to go and simply either decimate them or take them over and exploit them. As we, we've seen from other parts of the Gospels, uh, a Roman soldier could sort of take slaves temporarily by telling a certain person from the place that they're occupying, carry these things for me for miles, or come and do this for me. And people were obligated to do as they were told. And this was the real humiliation of being occupied by these foreign invaders, is that not only was their freedom taken, but they were co-opted by a, a presence and a force that they could only see as evil. We can know that this is so because we actually have other people writing in, these, in this time of the first century about things that the Roman Empire would do, particularly what its soldiers would do. This is what Tacitus writes in his work called the Agricola, and he's paraphrasing uh, Calgacus, who was a, an opponent of the Roman Empire. And this is what he says about Roman soldiers and the Roman military. These plunderers of the world, after exhausting the land by their devastations, are rifling the ocean, stimulated by avarice if their enemy be rich, by ambition if poor, unsatiated by the East and by the West, the only people who behold wealth and indigence with equal avidity, to ravage, to slaughter, to usurp under false titles they call empire, and where they make a desolation, they call it peace. Wow. That is really a lot to say about how you feel about the Roman Empire. What's very interesting for our particular uses today is that he says they plunder the world 
And after exhausting the land part of the world, after doing whatever kind of damage they can do on the land, they get in their boats and they cross the ocean. This was actually considered the real force of the Roman Empire, the fact that they were able to navigate seas so well and come up on enemy countries or countries that they had planned to conquer from the ocean, that this was really the great strength of them. And so it was always understood that ships on the horizon, Roman ships on the horizon, was always a bad omen. It was something that you knew your freedom was about to be taken, that your way of life was about to be ended. And so it's interesting that on the one hand, Tacitus tells us that it's the ocean that makes it possible. It's the water and coming across the water that makes it possible for these plunderers to come and take from us. On the other hand, it says wherever they do go, whether it's on land or whether they cross the ocean and then come up on land, wherever they go and utterly destroy everything and strip it of all of its richness, they call that peace. Now, this is also an interesting term that was very important during the first century when Mark was writing his gospel. The Romans controlled the entire Mediterranean world. They had, were building an empire um, previously unsurpassed. And what was interesting is they called this method of taking over all these other countries and all, conquering all these other peoples, they called it the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Because they really believed and their propaganda also stated that, you know, it may be a bit unpleasant to be taken over by a foreign empire. It may be um, unpleasant if you're going to put up a struggle. But if you're willing to cooperate with us, the Romans can give you a lot of things and can do a lot for the world. Now, uh, to be fair, we can look at archaeology and we see the Roman aqueducts that piped water all over uh, the Roman Empire. And we see the ancient mile markers of the Roman roads that were made and the courier system that enabled mail to be crossing oceans and continents, uh, great learning taking place. So the Romans weren't wrong that there were things that they could provide for people in various places around the Mediterranean world. The problem was, is they were taking a lot for themselves and they were devastating so much in the process. And so while they said, we can make the whole world peaceful by conquering all of it and giving it all good things, the process of doing this was so violent that there was often not much left to bestow these gifts on. The rhetoric that we hear is that there is something that you can have, but so much bad has to happen to you in order to get it. Or I can give you good things, but you have to also have to let me do bad things. And always, always, it's the one that's the most powerful and the most violent that gets the most things and that gets to decide what we call peace. So this is very interesting, I think, especially when we turn to the following portion of the story. So what's interesting is Legion, this demon, begs Jesus not to send them out of the country. Now, on the hillside, next to where they're all standing and talking, there's a big herd of pigs. 
and it says the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came and entered the swine, and the herd, the number of pigs, numbered about 2,000, and they rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned there. Oh, the irony of being the legion that crosses the waters, that crosses the oceans, in order to take possession of others and then to drown in the water and in such a dishonorable way in a, a herd of swine. I mean, that is hardly the n- noble death, hardly the, the notorious-sounding legion to be drowned so, um, so ignobly. Now, what's interesting is the backlash of this particular story It says that the swine herds, the people who are feeding the pigs and taking care of them, go into the city and to the rest of the country and they tell everybody what happened. Then it says all the people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and they saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And the people became afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and the swine reported it. And all the people began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. Isn't that fascinating that the backlash of having someone liberated from a legion, from five or 6,000 demons, this man is now clothed and in his right mind, that the reaction to that is fear. And I think, again, Mark might be helping us figure this out by the way he used the term legion. The Roman soldiers and the empire and the way that these things were conducted had become normal, had become not accepted, certainly, by the people who were invaded and were oppressed by the Romans, who had their country taken from them, who had their livelihoods often taken from them. But they had become, I think, accustomed to that's the way the world in general works is that we have people that take and people who are taken from and so to have this Jesus liberate this man free him from these demons and it gained Jesus nothing and now all of a sudden the boundaries between who can be in their town and out of their town are completely changed. They were used to the world the way it worked before. When some people just get exploited, that all of a sudden when that person is lifted up and freed, they get scared. Now, what's also very important to notice is what happens with the man when Jesus leaves. So, of course, Jesus, knowing he's not welcome and they ask him to leave, It said, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is also a very interesting ending to this story of liberation. Being so grateful that Jesus freed him from these demons, that he has restored him to his sanity, 
the man wants to follow Jesus. He wants to become a disciple that follows him, that goes around, that helps Jesus, that that somehow pays this debt of gratitude. And what's interesting is Jesus won't let him follow him. I don't think it's that Jesus just didn't want him, but I think that Jesus's type of liberation that he grants is true liberation. If he had freed the man from the demons, but then had the man follow him, he would have freed him from one type of servitude and led him into another. But I think that this particular ending of the story really gives us a sense that Jesus has liberated the man so he can live his life. That's true freedom, true liberation. And it shows that unlike the legion of demons and unlike the Roman legions of soldiers, Jesus really isn't taking for himself. He really is freeing for the sake of freedom itself. The next story that comes in this series of three is a story of a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. The story tells us in Mark chapter 5 that a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And there was a woman who had been suffering for hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had, and yet she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, Do you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you ask who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Do we see this movement of this legion of demons in this one story that is this totalizing presence that the man can't be contained and he can't live among other human beings and his entire personhood is completely obliterated? And that's supposed to trigger the idea of the peace of Rome. And yet, here in this passage, another woman has given all she has. Only the, the, the thing that oppresses her is a disease that causes her to hemorrhage. Now, a hemorrhage is an issue of blood. And in the Jewish culture that this would have been in, a woman who was having an issue of blood would be unclean which meant she couldn't go into certain places. She couldn't go worship in certain places. She couldn't be around certain people who had to remain clean. She had to keep her distance. And so the thing that she's being liberated from, although it may not be a demon that's causing this, it certainly has the same feeling of totality that those demons did. It's taken all the money she had, and not only that, but she's actually worse than she was before. She's given all her health, all her money, probably all her hopes and dreams, into trying to be healed. 
And just like the man with the thousands of demons, this woman also probably has thousands of demons of her own. All the voices in her head that says that she'll always be alone, that she'll never be clean enough, that she'll never actually be well in her body enough to live a real life. But she touches Jesus, believing that Jesus is so powerful that if she just touches his clothes and believes, that she'll be healed. And she was right. It absolutely happened that way. And what is it that the text tells us happened? Jesus could feel the power go out of him. Interesting, in that first story, we get a demon that overpowers a man, and yet that Jesus can send out by a word into a herd of swine. Here, a woman just merely touches his clothes and power just sort of leaks out of him and frees her from not only the disease, but the crippling loneliness that the disease would have brought on. And then he says, go in peace. That's the hallmark of true peace. And just like the man who Jesus sent away and said, no, go back to your friends and family. Go live in your house. Go live your life. He also tells this woman, go, live your life in peace. And this is real peace because Jesus isn't taking anything from her. In fact, unlike the, the hordes of Roman soldiers that we just read about a few moments ago, Jesus actually loses something in the giving of this woman peace. He loses something in liberating her and freeing her. It's not that faux peace that the Romans were sort of using as a justification. Oh, well, when we conquer everybody, nobody will be at war with each other. When we conquer the entire Mediterranean, everyone will be united. It will be a peace. Although it does mean they've taken whatever they've wanted, Jesus not only doesn't take, but he is taken from. He actually gives. And that's the hallmark of a true peace. Not the peace of Rome, but the peace of God. And the final story in this triptych that we get from Mark is another freedom. This one, probably an intensification. Now remember, the woman we've just met was 12 years a hemorrhaging woman who couldn't be in society fully as an individual. Now we read about another woman, another girl, who 12 years also means something to her and something to her family. The text reads, One of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came out, and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only trust. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went in where the child was. 
and he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years old, and at this they were overcome with amazement. In the previous story, we see a woman who's been suffering for 12 long years. And here we see a girl who's been alive for only 12 short years. And it's not just her freedom from death that Jesus provides, but notice what he says to the father, do not fear, only trust. The parents are freed from their fear their fear of living their life with their child dot with a fear of living their life with their child gone do not fear only trust not only does this show this liberation that Jesus provides this bringing back from death but this also is a foreshadowing of what will also happen to Jesus If one can conquer death for someone else, that would be the candidate that God would raise from the dead. We've seen Jesus challenging these claims that evil has in its totality. We've seen him say, you may be a legion of demons that gets its name from a legion of powerful soldiers. But you're no match for someone who wants to liberate a man who's under your tyranny. He may look at a woman and say, it has been 12 long years, but your faith has been able to conquer that in the second it took you to reach out and touch my clothes. And now here, the final totality, that this girl is freed from death, the most final, the most total thing. Jesus proves that he is greater than any of those things. And it corresponds to what we've been talking about throughout our study, that Jesus has this program. He has said in chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom comes from the Greek word lutron, and it means the same thing that it means in English. It means to purchase freedom or purchase or to buy back, to redeem. It come, it's, re, it's related also to the Greek word luo. So you can hear the, the corresponding lutron, luo, but luo is the verb, to release, to let go. And so those are very much related. Jesus says that his life is the ransom. It is the price by which people can be released. Now, what's very interesting is that Mark introduces in his crucifixion story this very word, release. In Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 13, Mark writes, Now at the festival, that is Passover, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone whom they wished. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. And he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed him over. 
but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have them release Barabbas instead. Pilate spoke to them again, Well, then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Notice the repetition of the word release. Now at the festival, Pilate used to release a prisoner. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? He wanted to release. They wanted him to release Barabbas instead. This repetition of this, this word that's derived from a related word to ransom. And yet Jesus is the only one that doesn't get released. He truly has delivered on his promise that he came to give his life as a ransom in order that he might release others, whether it be from a prison of sickness, a prison of oppression and occupation, or even a prison of death. And in order to do that, to demonstrate his commitment to that, he himself is the only one whose release is not purchased. Now, we do have the resurrection story. And that's the wonderful thing that the story of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter reminds us, is that although the systems of the world seem evil and oppressive, and that they are evil and oppressive, they are not as total or as absolute as they like to believe that they are. We get really sad at this part in the story when the only one who doesn't get released is Jesus after he has liberated so many. And the resurrection that occurs in the very next chapter is the reminder to us that with God, all things are possible. And that nothing that is evil is total. The only thing that is complete, the only thing that is whole, the only thing that is absolute is God's goodness. Thank you so much for being here today. I look forward to hearing uh, to being with you again next week uh, as we study the Gospel of Mark in week and chapter number six. Welcome back, everyone. We are at our Office Hours podcast of Your Week with St. Luke's. And this week, we're talking about Jesus the Liberator, moving through the Gospel of Mark. I think we're on chapter four. And of course, it's your clergy team, along with Dr. Eby, having some great conversations where we mix it up and understand different understandings of Jesus. Now, Liberator Jesus is probably one that all of us as clergy really, really like. So where are we going to go with that this week, Dr. Eby? Well, I think a really great place to start is this programmatic statement that we get from Jesus in Mark chapter 10, which although we're not in that particular chapter this week, it's a really great anchor for us. Jesus says, speaking of himself, that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, as we talked about in some previous episodes, that giving his life as a ransom doesn't just mean his crucifixion on the cross as an act of atonement for sin, but even the life that he lives up until that point is all about giving in order that other people may be released. And that word ransom means uh, a payment of release or mm-hmm. a setting free. Uh, And so I feel like this is a really great place to see Jesus as liberator as we go back into chapter five for this week. Mm. We get three healings 
all back to back, boom, 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 mm-hmm. in, in Mark chapter 5 from Jesus, and each one of them is done under different circumstances. One doesn't ask for Jesus' healing and doesn't want it. Right. <laughs> one wants it but won't ask for it, mm-hmm. and one begs for it and mm-hmm. really wants it. And all three of them, uh, a possessed man who has many demons, a woman who has a hemorrhage that she has had for 12 years, and a little girl who has died, all three of these are healed, Mm -hmm. and yet all under really different circumstances. How can we think about the nature of God's liberation and healing using all three of these models? Uh Are they all in play for us? So it's interesting when you were saying that, it takes me back to the parable of the sower last week. I mean, and where the seed fell, right? So the seed fell mm. on three different types of ground. And here we have healings with three different types of people. And is there something, again, is Mark repeating itself structurally as a way to talk about, you know, how healing comes, how grace comes, how the kingdom of God is received. And 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 that Jesus may be in spite of the ground still sows, you know, in spite of whatever ground, everything gets the seed. In spite of people's want, healing is still offered. And is there something to that? And is there something connected to that urgency that Jesus knows the time is now, the time is now, the time is now, and and is not going to wait on whether people are going to be open or not, but continue to do the healing and let, let the healing happen. That's, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. So what it seems like is that it is not always clear to us what is the good soil. Mm-hmm. Like if we think about a demon-possessed man who won't keep his clothes on and is cutting himself and the demons beg Jesus to stay away, um, we think, oh, that can't be good soil. Right. And yet Jesus obviously knows it is because he heals the man. Mm -hmm. Right. And so all of these other people, maybe we're not always the best determiners of what's the good soil, Mm. (laughs) what's the rocky soil. (laughs) Who's worthy of liberation and healing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or how things will grow uh-huh, uh-huh, or, you know, uh-huh, how uh-huh. healing will come or uh-huh. how things will grow. I mean, there are certainly places and moments in which seed planted in the rockiest places still defy uh-huh. all odds uh-huh. and uh-huh. still grow. Uh-huh. That's true. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, well, and, so. and we want we want everybody to get the seed and we want them to grow, but not like that. All the way, yeah. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, oh, we want people to be healed, but, but th- them, them too, that mm. way? Is that, that's not exactly what I had... It's not what I had in mind. This isn't how I would have seen it. Uh uh Um, And so I think there's that, again, Jesus going, there's not one way. There's not one thing. There's not one story here. There's a lot of stories, and and I'm here to, to share many of them. And we all have different needs. We need to liberate from different things, uh-huh. right? And these three right. stories tell these three different types of liberation that, that maybe in one way, shape, or form, all of us are looking for at least in one of them. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And is the liberation really the, he- the person who's healed? Or is it the liberation that happens for those of us who are watching the healing mm-hmm. to be liberated from our context with which within which we try to confine mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what God can do and who God can do what with? Right, 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 right. So, so I have to say that as a child, um, multiple times in our Christmas pageant, I played the dead girl. Um, I guess <laughs> it's Christmas. Christmas. I guess it wouldn't have been Christmas. Name, of this, name of this episode, I played the dead girl. <laughs> I don't remember that. It, it, was, it would not have been the Christmas. I'm sorry. 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 I'm sorry
Christmas, Christmas on my mind. But in in whatever our like annual like pageant, spring, spring I'm sure it was a musical. spring. But it was a whole it was a whole church thing, mm-hmm. and um and multiple years. I remember playing the dead girl, and and a man would hold me in his arms, and I would have to just like flop and oh, um, go limp, and then Jesus would come and heal me, and I would have to jump up and be so excited. Um and now I'm trying to remember why I'm telling this story because we got <laughs> derailed. No, it was because you were talking about it's not just it's not just about the person being healed it's about seeing it and I remember I mean when I think about going back to that like all of the focus was on on my character was on the girl who's been healed and I I, I wish I could go back and and look at the rest of the cast mm-hmm. and what did what did other people who were playing disciples and playing you know townspeople and um, who were playing my parents in that mm-hmm. um, what what is the impact not of of the healing the physical healing, but what does it do for the community? Mm-hmm. Um, well, mm-hmm. and the really interesting thing about that is that we get really different responses here in this text. When Jesus heals the the demon possessed man, the townspeople become afraid right. and ask Jesus to leave. Yep. Right, which is yep. it's so crazy because you think about like this would be terrifying to watch someone like cutting themselves, bruising themselves, mm-hmm. running around with no clothes on. You know, I mean, depending on the person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and but that isn't the thing that scared them no. because they were used to that. Right. right. Like they were more comfortable with something that the we would think is terrifying. Right. And yet him being healed was the thing that really rocked their world. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. now we have to actually deal with them. Yeah. I mean, but also like with him. Yeah. yeah. Like the chaos you know is better than the chaos you don't know. And we're used to this chaos because we actually don't have to deal with him. We have to deal with his demon possession. Yeah. You know, that's that's crazy old Jeremy. (laughs) 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 How would be the demon possession? still, what power is this that you can do this? That's terrifying. That's, That's sublime. Right. That's so yeah. big that we don't know what to do yeah. with it. But also, I really like what you were saying about uh, when someone's healed, the liberation being in folks being liberated from their limitations. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a thing that's possible. Because like you said, and, and that goes back to what you were just saying, we got to deal with him. Now we have a responsibility. Right. Yeah. Because liberation yeah. can come and we got to be a part of that now. Right. Yeah. It's much easier yeah. to go, up. Oh. That, that that's that's unfortunate and walk away because especially in that period mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. they were an outsider so we really didn't have to deal with it mm-hmm. and now we have to deal with these outsiders being healed by something that we don't know that could do something to us and now they have to become a part of our community mm-hmm. and we don't know what to do that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So please, Jesus, don't heal anymore. Just go on with yourself. We don't want anyone with a real complicated past that has caused us discomfort in the past and now a new kind of discomfort. Um, We've we've only just made peace with... Right, our our familiar discomfort. Right. So mm. don't go changing right. all of this. Because what if they affect us? Mm-hmm. We we I think in in moments like this we can see ourselves, um, you know, somewhat in in almost Jesus' shoes as healing. I mean, not not that we think we can do that, but we we feel comfortable with the idea of helping someone or healing someone or giving them what they need. But after that, what we want them to do is to become more like us in that process. Mm-hmm. But when when a someone who has had demons gets healed and now becomes part of the community. Uh, is that going to impact the, the the status quo at that mm-hmm. point? And I think that's the the real threatening thing. 
And it's also such an interesting and unique stamp of Jesus because the man, after he's healed, he wants to follow Jesus. Yeah. Um, He's like, he begs him to let him come with him. And Jesus says, no, he literally not just releases him from his demons. He releases him from any obligation. Uh, Like, no, don't follow me. Go live your own life. Like that's. That's uh, that seems odd, doesn't it? Seems it? Like contrary Jesus, to what we would expect, yeah. Especially since in Mark, Jesus has a hard time getting people to stay. Right, right. <laughs> this one might stick. Yeah, but he but he sends them away. Yeah. Like mm. that is bizarre to me. Mm. Well, because you already understand freedom, you already understand what liberation is. So following me, you you already get the point. Mm. Mm. I've done my work. You got it. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're more useful. Like, maybe your work is right. not follow me, but just being here mm-hmm. and always being an example of what liberation is to these folks here. Mm-hmm. And I wonder also if there's something in just difficulty accepting the good thing because you've fallen in love with your trauma. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that that just took it deep. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. that's real. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and that how makes, do you not fall? How do you? How does Jesus? Is, I mean, is Jesus in this respect almost like a twelve-step counselor mm-hmm. and say, "I don't want you to sh- trade your trauma that you've fallen in love with uh-huh. for me." Uh-huh. Yes, yes, right. Yeah. Even though You're I am still liberating, uh-huh. I, uh-huh. and I will still liberating, but you've got to you've got to do that in secret. You right. hold, hold this secret mm-hmm. and sit with it. And, and sit I'm, with that and wait. Mm-hmm. I'm fully liberating. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's also interesting that he says, go back to your friends, go back to your family. Um, there's, there's sometimes the, the things that we need to be liberated from. We talked a couple weeks ago about isolation um, that tend to separate us from society, separate us from the people who, who normally would surround us and, and hold us dear. And, and when we're liberated from those things, to make those, reconnect with those people, mm-hmm. reconnect with those relationships and those resources. Um, because Jesus says, go home to your, to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Um, so there's something there too. And then also he says, you know, and the text says that he uh, went away and began to proclaim to the Decropolis, the, the 10 like cities that are around there, how much Jesus had done for him. So in some ways he's the first evangelist too. Oh yeah. Right. He takes, he takes uh, the grace and love of Jesus Christ, Jesus out into the Decropolis. But, but Jesus has him do it on his own terms and yeah. in his own way, not don't stay with me and just do everything the way I do it. Make this your own. Like mm-hmm. in a sense, it's almost as if there was liberation part one where right. we get you released from the demons. <laughs> like that's obviously for front and center. Like let's get the demons out. But then the, the second part is now start living your own life according to the freedom that you've been given. And don't, like you said, don't trade the demons telling you what to do for me telling you what to do. Right. Yes. You're free to tell your story. Story, to live your story, yeah. To lead your life. Oh, yes. hey, hey. Story. Nice callback. Learn, love, love, <laughs> and lead. It's so, it's so important. That is so important, though, because, again, the healing isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new one. Right. Mm-hmm. Liberation mm-hmm. isn't the end goal. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of a new story. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a different responsibility. That's a different pressure. That's a different understanding of, of the promised land. I mean, when let's go back to the old Testament. When we get to the promised land, a whole new journey begins. It's, it's a whole different set of challenges. It's not the end of the story. So that, that, that's different. Um, that's really interesting too, because, you know, when I think about Jesus telling his disciples that, look, 
I came to give my life as a ransom. I came in order to set people free. And because they're his disciples, he's teaching them what they are going to do. Does our, as we start a new story, like where we've closed the chapter on maybe that demon possession, (laughs) um, does our relationship to ransom change? Like, are Mm. we, are we ransomed by Jesus, but do we ever pay a ransom for someone else's freedom? Is that part of what we're called to do as well? Mm. And I, I don't know the answer we're to that. Or if, that. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. if we are, we're all, we're all making interesting faces of, right. hmm. Well, because I, I know I, we all have been preaching the one way, shape, or form. I can't go on the cross for you. Yeah, right? we do. Um, like, get off and, the cross. Right. I remember Jesus. Yes, I remember Jesus. <laughs> and, um, Say that to the women and sisters all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that's a, that's the same question you're asking, right? I think I think you know, uh, in some ways another aspect of thinking about is that how we are all not even just as pastors, but I would hope as St. Lucas and people who call themselves Christians, are we making um, space in a way open for? Like this, this man healed to tell his own story, to be free, to be liberated. Um, what ransom in that way are we are we paying so that someone else mm-hmm. might be liberated by Christ, might might find Christ on the cross? Which so is like what space you may yeah. have. What space are you so taking? And up? it's interesting because when we've moved, so especially in 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 the culture that we live in, which is a, in some ways somewhat of a, a buttoned up professional culture in many ways. When we've done, when we've pushed that, when we did a few years ago and our Easter tight sermon series was this is me mm-hmm. and we talked about the scars and 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 you know Jesus showing us how to show our scars right and to say this is how I was healed we had people say stop talking about it uh, like mm-hmm. like you've been healed move on put it put it away yeah. and we don't need to keep bringing it up Mm-hmm. And 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 I and I feel like that's the antithesis of what that sounds like someone who has scars they haven't done mm-hmm. right right yeah. right but it's mm-hmm. an easy I mean we live in a culture and a society that tells mm-hmm. you to, to put away your scars don't mm-hmm. don't show your scars don't don't let people know um, and this this is Jesus really like you said this this multiple liberation processes that begins a journey of I'm going to go tell my story mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to go tell. I mean, to be demon-possessed was, like, the ultimate of you did something really wrong, the demons got in you. <laughs> and, yes. and those are the stories we don't tell. We don't tell the stories yeah. of our demons, do we? No, no. Uh, or we that. do if we have a really nice bow to put on them at the end. Right. Um, and while there is a little bit of a, like, healing bow here— this man is just figuring out his story mm-hmm. and he's already told to tell it. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be finished. We don't, because mm-hmm. we, we see these, you know, these stories that are told that, that are these, you know, beautiful wrap up and we can just tie it up. And it's, and, and it's what we talked about with Job too, yeah, right. of our through is part of the story too. And uh-huh, we don't uh-huh. have to have figured out, we don't have to have it figured out to tell it. Uh-huh. So even though we do have a little bit of a bow here uh-huh. that he's been healed, he doesn't have his bow yet, I don't think. Okay. Well, and he's called to tell his story to a bunch of people who are already scared of it. Yes. And who have chased Jesus 
out of, out town. of yes, town for doing that very thing. <laughs> so this is this is hardly an easy finish. Like where this is not a chicken soup for this whole story. No, because now he's this man. It's it's going to get real in a different way. Yeah. It's going to get hard, but a different kind of hard than what he had before. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so. I was, and the same with the woman that comes next. I mean, to be hemorrhaging for years and years and years and be healed. That's a whole new... I mean, you've been so ostracized from society. Mm-hmm. It, it, you don't get more ostracized except to be demon-possessed. Right. <laughs> and so how do you come back into that? How do you come back into a new understanding of liberation? And this this idea of there being a new life and things to come. I was I was looking at the end of this passage when he's talking about... When he's healed the girl. Um, he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Um, <laughs> like, hey, don't get distracted by, by this yeah. moment. Right. Um, um, she's she's been dead. She's probably hungry. Um, it takes a lot out of this, you. This is every day is still going to happen. You're still mm-hmm. going to have to continue. I know it feels like this is this is the moment, but there is life still to come. You need to mm-hmm. uh, to prepare for that too. Yeah. And so is is are we being liberated by Jesus from what we're broken from, or are we being liberated into the uh, healing our ideas of what new life could be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of exercise in, in figuring that out it would be to try and think about, imagine, write about the days after Jesus had um, healed this this man who was demon-possessed, the days after mm-hmm. for the woman who had the, the issue of blood, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder what that would look like as far as telling our own stories and figuring out, like like you said, like the infleshness of it all, the mm-hmm. fact that you're still going to need to eat and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe that's um, we, and when we're talking about the ransom that we pay, the cost of other people's healing from us maybe is us willing to sacrifice some of those long-held beliefs about what's possible in yeah, healing right. or what yeah. it should look like yeah. or um, those those sort of ways that we're reluctant to embrace it mm-hmm. that maybe that's more of an internal ransom that we pay mm-hmm. is I am so committed to your healing that I'm willing to accept it coming in a really unorthodox mm-hmm. or unconventional or bizarre mm-hmm. way because it matters so much to me to see you whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I think in some, like you said, in some sense, we can't replicate what Jesus has done on a, a broad scale, but I think we can internalize that and make that our attitude or our orientation mm-hmm. that I, I am willing to sacrifice some mm-hmm. of those long held, deeply rooted, what should or shouldn't be in order to be liberated. Right. Yeah. And then that liberates me as much as it does the person mm-hmm. being healed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. liberations all around <laughs> liberation for everyone. You get a liberation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for this conversation, and we will see you next week. We hope that you spend some time in your Life Together groups talking about this and that you'll be back with us for worship as we love God and we rehearse this idea of liberation to be able to go and be people who liberate others. See you next week.